With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics, and we've got a big packed show for you today. Plenty of news to get to uh, and return um, of the Wisconsin football team. Uh, activities started today. Uh, you're probably listening to this on Tuesday, um, so it would have started Monday afternoon. Um, there's some recruiting stuff that we're going to talk about. Matt had a very interesting article that he put out Monday morning on the recruiting pipeline with Paul Chris, which I found fascinating, very interactive, a nice map. Um, so kudos to him, which we'll get to in a little bit. We'll talk about the ongoing situations at a couple of the other Big Ten West schools in Iowa and Nebraska. And then we'll do some returner profiles that we've been doing, get to uh, some more guys that we keep you know, hammering away on the podcast and on the website, uh, just going over some of our returning players that are going to be on the forefront of the Wisconsin football team this fall. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing phenomenal. It's beautiful outside. It's it's up into the mid to upper 80s right now, and, and I can't uh, go away from that. That's awesome. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm great. I mean, the weather is, is turning really nice. We've had a really warm uh, summer so far here in Wisconsin, not too muggy, at least where I'm at. Uh, it hasn't been unbearably you know muggy like we're used to getting, but so far, so good, and uh, you know, it's good that... Uh, as we get into our news, which we'll get to in a little bit, it sounds like uh, football players are back on campus and, and getting to some work. So everything's pointing in the right direction as we enter the summer, and I uh, can't be more excited about it. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely uh, positive vibes on the football front. Um, obviously, there's still a lot to be done in um, the social aspect of our world right now in the United States, specifically since the murder of George Floyd. But, um, you know, we're, we're hopefully going to be uh, – uh, a way for people to get away from all of the surrounding noise and um, social change pushes that people have been making are around our nation. So um, keep doing um, the things that you hold on to strongly and 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 really want to see changed. And um, hopefully this is just a time for you to kind of get away from all all of that and focus on as well on some uh, some health and some things that you care about as well in in terms of Wisconsin football and basketball. Most definitely. I think that was very well said. And I think that will transition us nicely. Let's go ahead and kick it over to our news of the day. Here's what's happening. All right. We've talked about it a little bit already, but Wisconsin football has returned in uh, some capacity, um, voluntarily you know, returning to campus for workouts and small groups, things like that. That would have started on Monday the 8th with uh, some guys returning. So 
definitely a step in the right direction. I know there has been some talk, um, you know, about what's next in terms of getting college football going, and, and we don't know for sure yet. But having kids on campus to to work out is is a step towards what we want, and that's of course everyone to be safe, but also to be able to watch college football this fall and then maybe be in stadiums and things like that. So. What do you make of that, uh, you know, step in the right direction for the for the workouts kind of starting today? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's it's the first step in a, in a, a, a series of different maneuvers that need to still happen in order for there to be college football that come fall. Um, I think the Badgers are in a really, really good spot. You know, most people are kind of starting around this time. Some teams are going to be starting about a week later um, on the like the fifteenth, uh, coming back to campus. But you saw players go to Instagram. Uh, to, to show that they were back on campus and, and excited and, and families posting about it. So it's definitely an exciting time. You know, there's a lot still to, to figure out. You know, there's, they've got to do testing. There's going to be all sorts of different small groups um, shuttling in and out of the locker, or on the locker rooms and facilities and weight rooms. So there's, there's a, a lot of moving pieces for uh, the Wisconsin medical staff, coaching staff, and the players to kind of, um, go through and it's it's definitely a a first for each of them in that aspect but at the same time this is definitely positive momentum and, and a thing that we're going to hear more about because I know uh, you had texted me about that the uh, Alabama and some other places have had some positive tests pop up that's that's just going to happen it's going to be the nature of the beast in terms of of this so it shouldn't be a complete shock to people they'll be quarantined uh, for the the 14 days or whatever it needs to be but I think the universities are really taking this seriously about how they're going to be bringing players in, whether it be based off of who they room with or whether it be based off of, um, you know, position groups that they can be in those meetings with. So they're really thinking about these things in intricate ways that go um, as much as they can in the in the positive light towards um, keeping kids healthy and um, as well as giving them the necessary tools and, and time to get ready for a the possibility of a football season. Yeah, it's it's important to keep these kids healthy and get them ready. Of course, you you can't just show up, you know, a couple of weeks before a potential season and and get underway and and be expected to perform at a high level. These guys need time in the weight room. They need time to familiarize themselves with the playbook, get back in tune. You know, it's not this isn't a normal off season where they're just returning to campus with a full plan. This is going to be different for everybody, so it's going to take some time. So the the sooner you can get on onto campus and, and get working out and get your feet back under you in a more familiar situation uh, is certainly the better. So it's exciting to see that kind of take that step and, and hopefully everything goes well. I know, yeah, you brought up the uh, Alabama situation where I think it was five or six players um, tested positive depending on where they came from um, in the country. That's probably going to happen in, in other schools too. Uh, it's going to be an ongoing situation, but if you have the health precautions put in place to to handle some of those things, uh, hopefully it won't cause any other hiccups or anything like that. If you've got procedures in place, and you know, of course, these are unprecedented times where it's hard, but there's thankfully for college football been a lot of time to sit back, weigh out all the options, you know, develop a plan. So I think going forward it'll be something to monitor and of course pay attention to. But it seems like they have at least the steps for right now in place to to make this thing you know go off without a hitch. Yeah, kind of jumping ahead with um, things kind of going along with no hitch. Uh, Mark Murphy confirmed that UW Notre Dame, as things currently stand, is still 
on to go at Lambeau, um, which is some big news. I know we kind of touched on a uh, piece from our sister station from within SB Nation uh, at uh, Notre Dame site that they had kind of heard some rumblings about how that might not be the case. But what do you make of Mark Murphy coming out and make, issuing a statement saying that, hey, it's all systems go at this point? Well, I think it's awesome. I mean, it's it's one thing when you hear stuff from sources and there's things going back and forth and some people hearing this, some people hearing that. It's hard to dispute or, or argue with the president of the Green Bay Packers because I think he's going to be right in tune with what's going on with that situation. And if he says all systems go, it's all systems go, which is great for me because I've got a hotel room reserved that I didn't want to have to cancel and try and rebook. So right now <laughs> I can just keep that uh, locked up. But it, it's exciting. I mean, the, the, I know um, you know some people aren't huge fans of the neutral site games, but at Lambeau, it, it seems a little bit different. I think you know Wisconsin and Notre Dame has been a, a game that a lot of people have wanted to see for a long time. It'd be a pretty cool venue to see it at Lambeau Field and, and in the frozen tundra. Hopefully it won't be too frozen since it's earlier in the season, but it, it's exciting, and, and just hopefully if this game goes on and, and hopefully they can have fans in the stand in some capacity uh, to enjoy it because it'll be a, uh, a really cool atmosphere. You know, The LSU-Wisconsin game was incredible up there, and I'd have to expect uh, Notre Dame's going to bring in quite a, quite a few more fans than the LSU Tigers would. Um, so it should be a really raucous environment, and we hope that uh, you know people can be there and see it. But if not, at least the game will be going on in, uh, in some capacity, which would be great to see. No doubt. All right, that knocks that one out. Let's get to the next news of the day, and this is a little bit of recruiting. Um, Terrence Ferguson, a four-star tight end out of Colorado, uh, didn't necessarily list his top three, at least I couldn't find it. I don't have Instagram, so I don't know if he put anything on his Instagram. Uh, but he mentioned that the Badgers were in his top two or top three. Um, I don't know how much you've seen of highlights for him, but he's a big kid, 6'5", uh, I believe 240 or 250. A uh, huge catch radius, long arms, a you know, really lengthy kid that it would be a nice get for the Badgers. So what did you make of his or his uh list because I know he's got some some big interest from Oregon, Auburn, I believe USC and Tennessee are still in the mix, but it would be a, another great get for this 2021 class if they could land Terrence Ferguson. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a huge get for the Badgers at this point. I think he's kind of a luxury guy because they already have Jack Poo um, committed, another four-star tight end. Um, you know, he dropped a, a, a video to, to Twitter and Instagram just saying soon, um, with hats of USC, Wisconsin, Oregon, Tennessee, Auburn, um, all kind of out there. Uh, I think this is definitely trending towards Oregon, unfortunately, for the Badgers, who also had just picked up a four-star tight end in Maliki Matavau. Um, so it's, it's definitely something to watch. Um, it's, it's interesting in the video. The only hat that doesn't have a sticker on it is Oregon, which probably means he wears that hat. <laughs> um, so... Um, I think it's definitely going to be an uphill battle for the Badgers, but they're definitely one of the top schools for him. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting because another guy, uh, Gunnar Helm, is another uh, mm-hmm. talented uh, tight end that the Badgers are in on. So I'm just really interested to see how the Badgers uh, spread out some of their final uh, places in this class, given the fact that you know they've really brought in two tight ends the last few classes. Um, you know maybe they only bring one one. one uh, tight end this year or two, or maybe they only bring in one wide receiver or two. So kind of the pass catchers is where I'm interested to see. Um, but I think Terrence Ferguson would be a huge get, and, and hopefully uh, the the winds shift towards Madison instead of Eugene. 
Yeah, and even if it doesn't, I think I think the big thing to take from here is a, a round of applause for Mickey Turner. Uh, he's doing a phenomenal job in his his recruitment, uh, tight end position. You looked at where it was at the beginning of the season last year. A ton of guys banged up, some young guys coming in that were either banged up or weren't ready to get on the field. Moving parts, you know, you look at Cormac Sampson, guys, you know, moving around the whole nine yards. It seems like that uh, that has kind of taken. Um, you know, it, it, it took a while to, to try and figure out a plan for the beginning of next season, but now you fast forward to now and you've got tight ends on the roster. You've got this 2020 class that had plenty of uh, talent at the tight end position. 2021, they've got a guy locked down. They've got a couple other, you know, irons in the fire to lock down some other guys. So really that tight end room has, has gone a full-on transformation to, uh, to make, it, make it a really solid group. Maybe they don't land Terrence Ferguson, but either way, I think you really have to be happy with how – not only tight end position is shaping up, but how they're recruiting at such a high level at that position. Yeah, no doubt. I think I, I think he would be a phenomenal get, but at the same time, that they're in they're in a good space now compared to where they were uh, even a, a year ago at this time. Most definitely. All right, that transitions us to our last piece of news, and it's it's kind of some 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 big things going on in the Big Ten West, and that starts with uh, Nebraska with J.D. Spielman announcing his intention to, to transfer, and then some unrest that I owe a lot of uh, players speaking out about the situation. I haven't read a lot of that too closely. I know there's been some limiting on tweets, so maybe uh, if, if anybody doesn't know, Matt, do you want to fill in kind of what's the ongoing situation there is at Iowa? Yeah, I mean, there is a, a lot of fires going on at Iowa all at the same time, so Kirk Ferentz is trying to put them out left and right and kind of stubbing his toe uh, as in, the, in the process. So Iowa strength coach Chris Doyle is, is one of the top strength coaches in the country. He actually um, had, had learned a lot of what he did from um, former Wisconsin uh, strength coach uh, Denton, um, who if you were uh, listening to our podcast when we were talking to um, Matt Bernstein, he had referenced him, who is one of the – biggest BAs in the world um, that I have, at least I've ever talked with and met. Um, but Chris Doyle is known as one of the top strength coaches. It, it kind of taken three stars and two stars and turned them into potential NFL guys. And um, he, he had about 14 players have come out and said that um, he, he was um, very cruel and demeaning towards African-American players, um, saying very off-color things. Um, in, in front of them um, and, um, you know, kind of being claims of bias in, in racial behavior um, directed toward African-American students and, and kind of the entire culture of Iowa has kind of come into the question in this lens because players have said that it was definitely um, a, a culture that was not befitting um, or inclusive in a lot of ways. Some things with not being able to to um, wear earrings, not being able to wear a hood inside the, the room or hoodies, um, things with um, censorship on Twitter um, where you couldn't tweet during any time or um, they just lifted it so you could tweet once, and um, they've since changed that. But a, a lot of things that are kind of stuck in 1985 instead of catching up with um, how things are now, um, such as not even being able to wear hats in a team facility that aren't an Iowa Hawkeye hat. So um, I think it's just one of those things where players have come out and said that there was unethical and biased behavior going on in the Iowa locker room, a lot of it from Chris Doyle. Um, If you want to find the tweets, they're definitely out there. And um, 
and uh, readily available to find. But I think it, it's just it shines a pretty big light on Iowa right now uh, amidst everything going on with the murder of George Floyd, and it, it paints them in not a great light. Um, I know this is not something that is not uncommon, unfortunately, across college football or really society in general, but, um, you know, to have it happen to a Big Ten rival and really a lot of upheaval going on there, it's, it's, it's definitely newsworthy and something to watch out for because uh, Chris Lyle has come out and disputed the claim, saying that he has no plans of, of uh, leaving or anything like that, and, and I was doing an investigation into it, but it's, it's a lot going on and uh, a lot to, to keep an eye on definitely moving forward. Yeah, a lot to take in there, and, and like I said, I hadn't read – too much of the the ironed out details. I did see that Chris Doyle um, was put on his administrative leave um, in regards to the investigation, things like that. It's it's a crazy story, and and that's what it. I know it, it takes a lot for some of these players to probably speak out on some of these issues, but it's it's good that it happens because that promotes change and it gets the the issues out in the air so people can grow and move forward. And uh, you know. Like like the Twitter ban, I, I saw that they uh, eventually lifted that and, and released some statements, but it, it's not a good look for the situation. And hopefully, it, it's not about you know Big Ten West foes. You don't want to see that this at any college football program, whether it be Iowa or any sort of rival with Wisconsin or anything like that. So it's disappointing. Um, it definitely sheds some some light on the situation that I don't think a lot of people knew about. I mean, from the from the looks of it and the sounds of it. A lot of this news that came out from former players was was probably kept pretty tight knit until some of these guys spoke out. So kudos to those players for for letting their voices be heard and and speaking out on issues because I think that's important in this time is is to not stay silent and to make sure uh, to voice your opinion and voice any wrongdoing. So it's interesting to to see how this will develop, but definitely not a not a great look for Iowa. And hopefully they can fix some of these culture issues and, and move that forward because I know on the football field they're a pretty consistent program, but it sounds like there's some some real trouble um, in the locker room and, and in the weight room and things like that over the past, you know, however many years and, uh, uh, you know, with the football program. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's definitely something to, to monitor, and it's something that's going on in other programs as well. You've seen things with Clemson. You've seen things with Utah here recently, Florida State, and I think one of the big things here is it's it's conti- the continuation of showing that players have a lot more power in college football uh, than they used to. Um, you know, I think that's started uh, a few years ago to kind of take on uh, a greater form, but at the same time, it's it, it's it's a propping up of players and giving them a voice in in their lives and, and being able to advocate for themselves on the changes that they need that they want. Um, to to better their lives and their experience at uh, as a college athlete, so I, I think that's uh, positive on that aspect. But yeah, there's there's definitely a a lot of moving pieces right now across college football, and and really more is going to continue to come out. I feel um, as um, there's still unrest across uh, the country following um, the events in the Twin Cities. Yeah, most definitely. It's going to be a story to monitor ongoing because, you know, every player that's played at Iowa um, has probably had some sort of situation where they've they've been around this or, or been a part of it. So as more players start to speak out, it, it's something to definitely monitor. Uh, the other story was in the Big Ten West. Uh, J.D. Spielman, Nebraska wide receiver, announced his intent to transfer from, ne- from Nebraska, uh, citing a, a personal health matter. Uh, not a lot of details on that. Uh, I'm sure they want to keep that within 
there, you know, the the tight-knit group of Nebraska and things like that, but a a big development because I think Nebraska was kind of expecting him to be back, be a big part of this team. He's a very talented receiver. So what do you make of uh, J.D. Spielman's decision to transfer? Because I, I believe he's already registered, so I, I think he'll have to obtain a, a waiver to be playing anywhere in uh, in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely noteworthy. He will need to apply for a waiver because he uh, is a senior and has already used his redshirt season. So, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, postulating as to where he might land. Uh, I've heard Minnesota, Oregon State uh, are possible options. His he's uh, He was adopted, and his 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 father is Chris Bielman. Um, um, so he I mean, he's from Eden Prairie. It'd be, it makes sense for Minnesota to be a possible land spot. Oregon State has a lot of ties to the Nebraska program as well. So, but he, I mean, he's a three eight hundred yard receiver in three consecutive years. He's he's a very good receiver. He's their top receiver on their team. A good slot player. Um, but I but I think it's it's just really noteworthy because you look at what's going on at at Nebraska and you know Scott Frost was expected to really invigorate the program and, and change the culture that was going on there. And what we've seen is there's there's a lot of uh, turmoil around there as he's um, Mitch Sherman, who writes for the Athletic, um, covering Nebraska, kind of put it out today that uh, J.D. Spielman's the 14th scholarship player that had remaining eligibility to leave the Nebraska football program since the end of last year. So it basically, in, in the matter of you know seven seven months, uh, there's been 14 players who have left. That includes a couple four-star recruits that never even made it to campus. Um, things of that nature. So there's there's some smoke there around uh, what's going on in Lincoln, and um, you know it takes a back seat in a lot of ways to what's going on in Iowa because and across the country because that is a much more pressing matter. But it's it's definitely newsworthy of what's happening in Nebraska because th- it's not like they didn't want him back. Um, he he's he's a tremendous talent, one of the best wide receivers in the Big Ten. So um, you know we'll see where he eventually lands. Um, but it's, and hopefully whatever health uh, issues is going are going on in his life get uh, figured out. But at the same time, it's it's definitely a blow to Nebraska. Yeah, most definitely. And you know, if you're if you're making a hire like Scott Frost, the guy that was supposed to come in and completely change and, and improve on things, this is the exact opposite of what you want to see. You want players that are coming there and you know flocking to Nebraska and and being happy and and players returning because they're excited about the following season. That doesn't sound like it's uh, the current situation there. So it's definitely something to monitor uh, at both programs as we go forward and get closer to a college football season. Or the next thing I wanted to talk about, because I, I think the article that you put out this morning, Matt, was phenomenal. The the graphs, uh, the map, the whole nine yards was, was really well done. And it essentially talked about uh, the recruiting pipeline for Paul Christ and where he's had success and in which states he's done really well in. Um, so I've read it. I really enjoyed it. But do you want to fill the fill the listeners in if they haven't seen it on on what you kind of did to develop that article? Well, first, thanks. Uh, it was it was a lot of work. I I threw it by Drew in a, in a pitch, and he he was like, "Yeah, go for it. That sounds great." So, um, basically, what I did is I looked uh, since Paul Christ came to Wisconsin as, and took over the reins as head coach. I, I was interested to see where uh, recruits were coming for. Uh, coming from, I should say, for Wisconsin during that time span, um, you know, especially given the way that things kind of change year by year, uh, where guys will come from uh, across the country. You've, you've got guys like Nick Herbig coming all the way from Hawaii. 
um, and, whereas you might have a lot of guys coming from Wisconsin. So I, I wanted to kind of dive into that and look at a, kind of a state-by-state breakdown of it. And I saw I found that there was 27 different states that uh, Wisconsin has found to recruit basically in the last five years or since 2015. So really it's six years because I'm um, counting the 2021 commits. But um, Wisconsin was definitely the, the top school with 35 commits. And I kind of looked at it as looking using the number of commits as the, the beginning data and then the way to differentiate between which, how much higher the top in the top 12 you were was based off of the number of commits, but then um, the average com- 247 composite rating, which I think is probably the least biased way to do it, just be, I thought because it pulls upon the three major recruiting services, ESPN Rivals and 247 to, to put together that. So I, I kind of use those as the, the glue to it. Um, and then, yeah, I just made a map that kind of tracked it and labeled each player on there so that it was a little easier to, to really see it because, you know, you can, you can hear that, oh, yeah, Wisconsin does a really good job of recruiting, you know, South Florida. But then you see it on a map and you, you look at Fort Lauderdale and Miami and Hollywood and it's, and it's just like there's a lot of players coming out of that, that Fort Lauderdale area, area in, in Florida, for example. And, and uh, talking about why that is and kind of um, how those natural connections continue to make uh, the, the Wisconsin program the way it is today. So just breaking down 12 of them. Um, but, yeah, I, I was, it was a lot of fun writing. It was a lot of, a lot of work, but at the same time I, I really enjoyed it and I kind of nerded out on that. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It sounds like it. Uh, it definitely took some time, but you, you can definitely tell you you put a lot of good time into it. So if you guys haven't read that already, check it out. But I, I think the the two things I really took from it, I like that you mentioned the Florida because that, you know, to me, the, the map part of it is so helpful because you can go there and look, you know. There's a lot of teams coming into Florida to recruit that area. So Wisconsin is essentially kind of picking their pocket of, of where they want to go, where they want to focus their time, and going after players in that segment. So go check that article out uh, and uh, get some really good info on, on how recruiting. I know our listeners love the uh, recruiting side of stuff, so make sure to, to go give that a read and a look. But uh, outside of Wisconsin, it looked like uh, a lot of the success had been coming from Ohio and Michigan. So why do you think Wisconsin has, has kind of been able to have success in those lands given the Michigan's, Michigan State's, Ohio State's, uh, Penn State coming into some of those states, uh, yeah. just how have they been able to pick off so many of these talented players with so many other big programs that they're kind of competing in this Midwest area? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is they're they're picky. They don't just mm-hmm. necessarily spring these offers all over the place. Uh, they're really um, looking in kind of that Detroit metro area, which is which is pretty robust. It's it's widespread. Um, you know, they they did really good job uh, as well in 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 terms of. Uh, Michigan with around the Grand Rapids region, but I think the the big reason is they're just finding guys that fit that aren't necessarily your your um, upper four and five stars. You know, obviously Logan Brown is phenomenal talent, but you look at Ohio and and Wisconsin. Other than Danny Davis, they really haven't pulled any of the like, hey, that is a huge recruiting win. You beat out a whole crazy amount of people. You know, like Jack Koo is a huge one. Um, out of Ohio as well, but but then you you have a lot of uh, lower level three stars that kind of get overlooked. You know, I'm I'm looking at a guy like Isaiah Mount, really good offer list, but he's from Columbus, didn't have an Ohio State offer, so he's looking for the next best thing. And the next best thing for a lot of these guys is going to be, hey, I can go play at um, Wisconsin. Um, another thing I think that the Badgers do with these guys is they get on on them early from from those states. You know, they're within the GR, 
geographic footprint, you like, which is basically these kids can drive there. Um, and a lot of times it, to get to, on campus more often, you, you want to be able to be in driving distance. There's, there's pretty telling um, results that say that if you're in driving range, you got a better chance of, of recruiting kids. And that makes sense. It's also a familiarity that you're, you're used to. Hey, I'm used to w- winters that can get to these temperatures. I'm used to um, the way in which everybody's talking. I'm used to um, the restaurants that are going to be around me and the ways in which everybody's communicating. So, um, I think that's the big thing for those areas is just Badgers are really good about finding the right fits with them. But but I, at the same time, I think Joe Rudolph is another big reason because he has some connections in that Ohio region and, and has done a good job. And I think you look at this latest class and the Badgers have done a really good job in Ohio this year, which is, which is good because that's a region that has a lot of talent that, um, you know, Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State can't take all of them. So, it, you know, there's a lot of places that, and a lot of kids that go to a lot of different places. So um, I think that's the big thing. Um, why do you think that they have kind of so much success in, in those states? Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's definitely, you know, we talked about it with Mike Jarvis in our last episode when, when we asked him about recruiting that New Jersey area where maybe not necessarily the, the high number of players are coming there, but when they do land a kid from that area, they're, they're doing their homework, and they're making sure it's a guy that they really want that wants to be at Wisconsin. And generally, that uh, produces some pretty good results. You know, we talked about Jonathan Taylor, Corey Clement. I know it's been a lot of offensive players, but the same recruiting principles that definitely apply in those areas. And I think that kind of speaks to how Wisconsin goes about it overall. You know, you look at the, the states in that area, Ohio State, Michigan, for the most part, Michigan, maybe not as much anymore, but for the most part, they can kind of pick the guys that they want and go for it. I think Wisconsin has closed that gap tremendously on them and, and Michigan State. Ohio State, you can pretty much, they can throw an offer out to you and you're probably going to get uh, the class that you want in, in most situations, so it's a little bit harder for them. But again, there's big talent pools in the state of Michigan, Ohio, some other states in this area where you know Ohio State can't have every player, Penn State can't have every player. So there's a lot of talent for Wisconsin, who's got a good football program, who's who's very who does their homework, has good academics, a great place to live. Uh, I know some of the winters are rough, but I'm sure the Ohio winters and Michigan winters are are pretty rough as well. So you can make a really good case for Madison uh, and the Wisconsin football program, and it helps to have success on the field. You know, Paul Chris has had really just one one down season. That a lot of that was issues that were were things going on off the field. So consistently. Or across the board, along with uh, you know teams doing their homework, it seems like uh, they're they're really doing well in those states where they kind of have to because again, this is an article that was about the pipeline. Those are states that Wisconsin to have success on the field needs to have success in their, those areas. Uh, which kind of transitions me to my next question: Which state, you know, when you were going through it, was there a state that you thought Wisconsin maybe needs to pick it up and, and do a little bit better in? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely places where I, I think the Badgers could could do better in. I, I think it's hard because a lot of the places around them, they do a good job with. Illinois, for example, they're very choosy. They really hit the, the northern Chica- and western Chicago suburbs pretty hard. They've actually brought in a player each year in that state. I, I, a lot of fans think that the Badgers should do better in that area. Um, you know, I, I think that would be a, an area that you could turn to that it's just so close that if – you can get some of those top guys and really go after them hard. They could probably do really good. And really, Wisconsin's done really good at, at like, a, the hit rate with Illinois kids, so that would be one. Um, but you look at two places that um, Wisconsin's actually kind of gone down 
recently um, because it started off really high for the Badgers in the beginning of the Paul Christ era, and it's kind of dwindled a little bit, is Texas and Georgia. And, um, you know, those are two of the bigger hotbeds in the entire country. Uh, I, I saw, like, the, a crazy stat about the number of kids from Texas and Georgia who get drafted each year. Um, you know, Texas is a little different because you – Kids can play year-round there, so there's there's kind of maxed-out athletes, which makes it so that it's hard for the Badgers to, to bring in, like, really top talent because those guys are wanted by everybody, um, whereas Wisconsin usually takes a developmental approach and really wants guys who have really, like, awesome traits here or there and that they can mold and, and kind of get them good in the weight room and, and through experience, you know. But um, I think I think Georgia, you know, um, was another place that, that's kind of gone by the wayside. Uh, after kind of getting four in the first uh, couple of years there at, um, under Paul Chris. So those would be two places that I, I think there's so much talent there that they could mine. But once again, those are across the country, and it's kind of hard um, to, to really give a lot of um, uh, resources to those areas when you're, you're doing better in Florida, another place across the country, or even California where another place across the country. So um, I, I think Wisconsin is doing a really good job of identifying the footprint, their uh, geographic footprint and hitting that hard. But those are two states that have a lot of talent that they've had inroads at that um, they could continue to, to do in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That, I'm glad you said Texas because that was the one that kind of jumped out to me. You look at the players, Chris Orr, Caesar Williams, Kate Green, Emmett Perry, Nikia Watson, and Travion Blaylock have been the the latest group. A lot of talented kids. Of course, Chris Orr had some connections there. Caesar Williams has had some uh, success so far. Nikia Watson, we've seen a little bit of, but some of these other guys we haven't seen much of. So maybe it'll look a bit better once you see more of some of these guys. But that's definitely a state that has a, a huge talent pool to pick from, but also has everybody not only in texas you've got texas texas a&m two of the biggest football programs in the country you've got a little a lot of little schools in baylor texas tech all those guys then and then there's other groups you know like wisconsin the surrounding area the sec everybody's coming into texas so that's a, a hard one to compete in so hopefully wisconsin can maybe make some inroads back there but at the same time if you're having success in in the ohio's the michigan's the floridas maybe maybe you don't have to because you're you're comfortable with the roster they have but it's always good to uh try and make some inroads in that way. So anything else you want to cover recruiting-wise or news-wise? Otherwise, we'll get into our ads, and then we'll talk some uh, returning players. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think I'm going to try to keep updating this as, like, at least the, the spreadsheet and the, the map um, that uh, after the class I'll try to update it and throw it back out there to see if anything changes because, you know, you look at some guys that they're in on, you know, a guy like TJ Bowlers, that would definitely bump Iowa up pretty significantly. Um up, up this list and, and you look and you can kind of see that there's certain states where the Badgers have done a really good job in and some that it's just hit or miss uh, very much so. And, but it, Wisconsin definitely recruits across the country and it's about finding the guys who fit the culture uh, a lot of times for the Badgers. Most definitely. Uh, very well done. So guys, make sure to go and check that out. I think that wraps up our news and uh, pipeline talk. So now we're going to go ahead and kick it over to a couple quick ad reads and then we'll get into our returner profiles. All right, guys, we've been talking um, some returning players, kind of giving you a little uh, hit on the podcast preview that way. Um, we've been putting out an article uh, pretty much every day. I think it's been every day um, uh, on the players on the website, and then we're trying to kind of hit the same group on the podcast as well. And the first one that we're going to talk about I think is going to be a player that is is going to have a much bigger impact 
this season, and that's Garrett Groshek. We've seen a lot from him in certain packages. You know, last year uh, he was he was uh, in there in, in a lot of passing situations. They've developed some wrinkles to get him the football more, which I think we're going to see even more of this season. But what do you make of uh, Garrett Groshek's potential in, in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think he, he's been a guy who ever since his regular year, um, he's really been a, a consistent threat for the Badgers that they can turn to. Um, you know, he's not going to wow you with, like, crazy traits in terms of, like, speed and quickness, but he is extremely heady. He's very good at run, uh, pass blocking, I should say, and, and he's a really good third down option that they have. I, I expect he'll keep using uh, be used in that role, he might see a few more touches in the receiving end. Last year, he had 29 receptions for almost 290 yards. The year before that, 24. So he's a guy who's going who's gonna to get carries. He's going to get um, receptions. And I think just he's, he's a Swiss Army knife that you can turn to to help you out in a lot of ways, especially because Nakia Watson is going to most likely be your, your you know, first and second down back that you don't want to overload him with with other responsibilities such as uh, catching the ball in the backfield and um, and pass protection uh, right away. So um, I, I expect Garrett Groshek to get a heavy dose this year, and uh, I think he pairs really nicely for more of a thumper like Nikia Watson. Yeah, I really like that analogy. I think uh, they'll, they'll be a good tandem, and I like that you mentioned, you know, not trying to throw too much on Nikia Watson's plate because we've seen that times where it's a lot to try and learn. Wisconsin's offense can be a lot in the running game uh, and in the pass protection game. Garrett Groshek coming back as a senior will be a guy that knows what he's doing, familiar with Joe Rudolph and his system, and and knows the role that he's in. So I, I definitely expect him to see you know more carries. Only had 42 attempts this past season. I think he'll get a little bit more of that, and I think he'll be a nice combo uh, with Nikia Watson where. It's it's not necessarily a bad thing where you know Jonathan Taylor you've had a guy that can do pretty much everything. Uh, I know he was working on pass blocking a little bit, but you now you've got a couple different options that you can go to. Garrett Groshek's going to be kind of your Swiss Army knife that can do a little bit of everything. So I think he's going to be a a integral part of the offense as we get going uh, forward this season. All right, the next guy. Speaking of uh, Garrett's uh, Garrett Groshek, and now we're going to transition to the defensive side with Garrett Rand. Um, Big piece um, last season when he was you know, back healthy. Uh, Going to be another big piece this year on the defensive line that has a lot of depth, has a lot of uh, solid returning players that have seen a lot of the field. But what do you make of Garrett Rand and his return this year? I mean, he, he's, he's a horse. I mean, he is so strong. Um, the guy is absolutely massive for being only 6'1", 6'2". Um, you know, but he, he's done a lot for Wisconsin. He's, he's played his freshman and sophomore years prior to that injury, uh, that Achilles injury that took him out for all of 2018. Um, but, but then you saw him kind of burst back into the scene, get his feet wet back again, and I thought he did really well. You actually saw that he started making um, more plays as the year went on, I thought. Um, he, he looked really good as the year progressed. I think he's, he's a guy who you look at how the Badgers use their, their DNs. Uh, him and Isaiah Laudermilk get a lot of work with um, – with the um, when they put two deep, two down linemen, um, you know, and when they're in their base and that with the three four, he's he's out there. So I, I think he's a guy that you could see get a little bit more disruptive. Um, I don't expect him to be all of a sudden some ten sack guy just because that's not what they task their D linemen to do. But at the same time, I think he he's he's a guy who now that he's hopefully fully healthy, 
um, could really take a nice step. You know, I remember that that Minnesota game. He was he was so disruptive. He had that sack, a forced fumble. He had seven tackles. You know, he was he was everywhere in that game and really, um, you know, made things happen uh, behind the line of scrimmage for the Badgers and that. So I think you know, like a lot of the defensive linemen, the more he can kind of make disruption back there, the more it frees up the the young linebackers. They're going to really be trying to make waves this year. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you look at uh, you know Garrett Rand's game log. His his last three games were were, were really well done. Uh, you know, Oregon didn't do a whole whole lot, but the Ohio State game uh, might not say so on the stats too, so much. But he was in he had his nose in a lot of plays there, at Minnesota as well. And then uh, he was a, he had a big game in that uh, Illinois game. Just uh, unfortunately came out on the wrong side of it. But if they would have won that game, it might have been a little different conversation with his six tackles and a big impact. So. Definitely going to be a guy that um, is, is someone we, we need to have this season on the defensive line and healthy. I think last year they, they wanted to work him in but also be cautious because he was battling back with an injury the, the year before. And when you have both of those two uh, in terms of, of Loudermilk and Garrett Rand, it's going to be a really solid defensive line when you pair it with Keanu Benton or, or Bryson Williams in the middle. So I'm excited to see what this defensive line can do. I know we've talked about that group a lot as, as being something that is going to be a strength for the Badgers, but I'm really uh, looking forward to what he can do and, and how he can you know make plays. Like you mentioned, he's not going to be a big guy in terms of sack output. That's more for to, to, to open things up for the outside linebackers and things like that. So uh, going to be interesting to see how he, he works this season. And uh, speaking of outside linebackers, uh, the, the next guy that we wanted to touch on is, is one of those and probably a guy that's going to be in that starting role at one of those outside linebacker positions, and that's Noah Burks, a guy that was not uh, a, on a lot of radars early in the season and into camp, uh, but came out, started playing more and more uh, as the season went on, played very consistently, and now I, I would have to expect he's going to be one of your starting outside linebackers. So what do you make of Noah Burks and his return uh, that he – Probably a guy that is a big candidate to have an even bigger year uh, than what he had last year. Yeah, I think he's he's going to be your next uh, wave of developmental outside linebackers that that has a good senior year. I think you know, do I think he's going to necessarily have the impact that a guy like Zach Bond did? No, but I do think that he will have a solid year. You look at his stats, and it actually mirrors quite quite similar to um, Zach Bond's junior year. Um, you know, he, he's got here. Um, Seven tackles for loss, two sacks. He had that interception for a touchdown, which was which was super cool. Um, he, he's a good athlete. Um, he's not like your prototypical size for an outside linebacker. He's only like six two. Um, but if at the same time, you know, he's he's good against run against the run. He's also gotten better as a pass rusher. You know, I think back to that Ohio State game when they went on the road to Ohio State. You know, he had he had a hell of a game that game with uh, eight tackles, two and a half tackles for loss in it. A sack and a half. So I think he, he's a guy that the more he is kind of uh, focused in on as a pass rusher and less of a, a guy to drop in coverage, the more impact he'll have. You know, I think people forget that he was a fringe four-star guy, um, according to most sites. I mean, he was a big get out of Indiana that they got. So I think you look at uh, what he could be next year, and I think it'll be definitely better. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a world beater, um, but at the same time, he is he's a a good player, and I think he was going to have a good year next year. Um, so people should kind of be ready for that because I think he 
he he really is the type of player that has succeeded so well um, as a developmental outside linebacker for the Badgers. Um, you know, he doesn't necessarily have the athleticism of a guy like Leon Jacobs, but he he definitely has a lot of traits that you want in a in a stand up rush uh, outside linebacker. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you look at Burr. I, I was one of those guys that did forget he was a four-star crew. When I was writing his pro player profile, I kind of forgot that he was a, a much bigger get than I think what he gets credit for, and and uh, maybe that's just kind of how he is. He seems like kind of a, a quiet, goes in, make, does his job, and, and does what he's asked of him and, and comes out. You know, he's not necessarily the most flashy outside linebacker and he, in, in terms of making plays, but he does his job, and he, he does it just as well. So I think Noah Burks, in terms of a guy that – if you're circling, you know, five guys to to really have a huge jump from from last year to this year, and, and maybe not in terms of numbers, but just sheer impact, he's going to be a guy that's in there because he, he, I, I have to imagine he's going to be penciled in as one of the starting outside linebacker roles. And when you have that comfort under your feet, you know, early in the season last year, he was kind of getting worked in and pulled out uh, for some other guys. I think with the departure of Vaughn, Burks is going to step right into – uh, a full-time role, which would be good for him, and I'm excited to see kind of what he can do uh, with that linebacker core that that has a lot of of good names in there that that should be uh, a really strong unit for the Badgers. All right, our final uh, player profile of the day is uh, one of our big boys up front in Josh Scheltzner, uh the Buffalo head. We've talked about, talked about him a little bit with David Mormon in our interview. Uh, likely going to be back in a probably a starter role, maybe at one of the guard positions. But what do you make of of Selsner's return uh, in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a, he's a kid who's definitely going to benefit from uh, the the experience he gained last year. He he saw a lot of time at at guard last year. He 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 did pretty well. You know, at, at, at times he struggled, but at the same time, for the most part, he was pretty pretty good um you know he he earned quite a few starts last year um it, you know he started the opener against south florida he started the michigan game he, he started kent state as well as michigan state so while the badgers kind of turned to um erdman and mormon to take on bigger roles as the season progressed i think you know he got a lot a lot of volume of work last year that'll help him i would anticipate he's going to be probably your starting left guard unless things change um, but but I think you know he's a really strong, really smart kid that I think will do really well um, at the offensive guard position and, and will likely be another uh, guy that'll succeed after being a walk-on at Wisconsin. Something Wisconsin does so well is you know turn these walk-ons into you know full-time players and, and sometimes even at the next level. Um, so I think Josh Dalton will be a, a really solid uh, player on that offensive line, a guy that can do a little bit of everything, you know, very versatile and, and probably, like you said, is going to be in one of those guard positions uh, with Joel Rudolph, who who is constantly moving things around to get his best five on his offensive line. All right, guys, well, that wraps up another episode of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Uh, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, check out Matt's article, um, and thank you guys for listening. As always, we'll be back with you later in the week on Wisconsin. Thank you.